Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. In today's episode, we're diving into an EU enforcement project that focused on harmful chemicals in everyday items like toys and electronics. The so-called REF10 project examined various EU legislative frameworks, including REACH, which essentially focuses on the safe use of industrial chemicals, so the ones we're all exposed to on a day-to-day basis, the Persistent Organic Pollutants Regulation, and the Electronics and Toys Directives. Now, what's worrying in the project is that it uncovered high levels of non-compliance across these areas. The project involved numerous inspections across 26 EU countries. With me today are Karin Rumar from the Swedish chemicals agency Kemi, who chaired the forum working group for this project, as well as Maciek Baranski, who leads ECA's harmonized enforcement team. Together, we'll explore the project's findings, implications, and key takeaways. But first, Karin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So, can you tell us how this project came about and what was its primary aim? Yes, the background uh, that this project came about is to integrate enforcement of several legislations uh, that regulates presence of hazardous substances in products. And as you mentioned, REACH uh, and the POPs legislation and the TOYS and ROS uh, directives. Uh, and we have this approach, this material-based approach, where we test different types of materials, uh, like, for example, soft plastic, metals, or textiles. And then we can look at what different substances are most likely to be present in these kind of material. And that will be a more efficient way of uh, checking these legislations. Right. Uh, And the main aim was to ensure enforcement of legal requirements that require that harmful uh, chemicals are not present in in articles or mixtures above certain concentrations, and ultimately for the safety of people and environment. Moreover, was to establish a practice for more integrated and harmonized enforcement. Can you tell us what were the key areas or regulations targeted during the inspections and why? Yes, so the main focus is the integrated controls of chemicals in products. And uh, just before I mentioned what legislations uh, they included, uh, all these legislations define restrictions and they have uh, for content of, content of hazardous substances in mixtures and articles. They usually have restriction limits for substances, for example, Lead or cadmium uh, should not be present in jewelry or ephthalates should not be present in toys above uh, some concentration limits. Right. In addition to the restriction in uh, in these different legislations, the project also checked reach duties that are related to the so-called substances of very high concern. Uh, This is an information duty, and these substances are not prohibited. But if they are present in articles above 0.1%, the the supplier must inform their professional customers. And they also must provide uh, information about safe use. Since articles were tested for restricted substances, many were also tested for the presence of these 
substances of very high concern. These substances are also in something called a candidate list. Right. And and just for our listeners, so the candidate list, can you explain what that is? They are uh, substances that might be uh, restricted in some way in Europe, uh, but so they are only candidates for the time being. Uh, so that's where the information duty comes that uh, suppliers have to inform their customers about the presence of these substances. Right. So they're candidates until uh, the European Commission and EU countries pass legislations actually make them officially then uh, banned or yeah. restricted. Okay. Yes. Then let's move on to the findings and uh, and also particularly the non-compliance rates across the different product categories. So, what were the most striking discoveries during the inspections? Yes, we checked two two thousand four hundred and seven products, uh, and the overall in compliance rate was eighteen percent. Uh, for articles, it was a little bit higher, 20%. And for mixture, it was lower with 9% non-compliance. So if we go to the different product types that we have uh, checked in this uh, project, it looks a bit different. We have 52% uh, non-compliances for electrical devices, and that is the highest amount of non-compliance in these uh, different uh, product uh, groups. And the example of uh, electrical devices are uh, electrical toys, chargers, cables, and headphones. If we look at sports equipment, uh, they had a non-compliance rate of 18%. Uh, the third category was toys uh, and non-electronic toys then. And the non-compliance rate was 16% for this group. Uh, Products like this uh, is uh, bathing and aquatic toys, uh, dolls, uh, costumes, playmats, plastic figures, outdoor toys, and childcare articles. The fourth category is fashion products. And that is examples of that is bags and jewelry, belts, shoes, and clothes. And the overall non-compliance in this group was 15%. And strikingly is also that many of the hazardous substances that we have found in in breach of the conditions, uh, they have been regulated for years, like the ephthalates, or even for decades, like lead. And it could still be found uh, in products available on the market. Okay, thanks, Karin. And what about then the, the kind of breakdown of, of, um, of regions? So where, where are these non-compliances found? Yes, uh, if we look at inside EU or the EEA countries, uh, we have a significantly lower non-compliance with 8% for the products compared to the imported products, which had a non-compliance rate of 21%. And those of uh, origin that is unknown, the non-compliance was 22%. Can you elaborate a bit on what kind of chemicals were found and their presence in these products? Yes, in mixtures, we have the highest non-compliance in paint strippers with 38%. And the content of dichloromethane. Followed by glue, which have a non-compliance rate of 12%. And and here we saw toluene and chloroform. 
If we go to the electrical devices, uh, we found in most cases lead in solders. That is um, really the most uh, common non-compliance. But then we also had ephthalates in soft plastic parts uh, like cables uh, or cadmium in circuit boards. If we look at sport equipment, Again, uh, we have the soft plastic material, and here we found ephthalates, but also short-chain chlorinated paraffins, SCCP. And in some cases, also polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, PAH, in rubber material. If we go to the non-electrical toys, we found uh, mostly due to ephthalates, uh, again, in soft plastic parts. And I can also say soft plastic PVC parts. That is uh, what we mostly found. find. And, and also we found some P8H again, and nickel and boron in slime and nitrosamine in balloons. And in the last group, in the fashion products, uh, we found again ephthalates and SCCPs in, in soft plastic material. Uh, But also the the highest uh, non-compliance group here, I think, is jewelry that contained lead and cadmium. Uh, In some outdoor textiles, we found PFOA. Uh, And the group of clothes is much lower uh, non-compliance rate with 2%. Okay, well, that's that's reassuring then, at least. But uh, high level of uh, non-compliance in, in some extremely important and very heavily used product categories. Maybe um, I could just give a few examples to our listeners of the types of chemicals we're talking about here. So these are very harmful chemicals. Just to take a couple of examples, I mean, lead exposure, uh, as one example, particularly in children, um, can lead to things like developmental delays and, and nerve-related issues. Um, Phthalates can disrupt hormones, um, impacting reproductive health and potentially causing also organ-related problems. And PAHSs that you mentioned um, elevate cancer risks, so particularly lung, skin, and bladder cancers, while also um, posing a risk to reproductive health and development. So just an example of some of the substances that we're talking about here. But how were these products handled? Were they withdrawn from the market? What kind of actions were taken? In most cases, uh, the enforcement measures uh, tool was to uh, form a written advice, but there were also cases of public announcement, uh, you could say, name and shame, or it could be public, you can make uh, your decision public, or you can publish the name and and product in a report, for example, but also administrative orders. So as a result of these enforcement measures, most of the non-compliant products were withdrawn from the market, either voluntary or via prohibition. And online offers were taken down. uh, And in some cases, a product recall was arranged. In addition to enforcement measures, some inspectors, and I know that some in some member states, uh, you have national, national legislation that makes it possible to do sanction and also fines or a criminal, making a criminal complaint. Yes, and if you are uh, interested, you can find much more information in our REF10 uh, report that is uh, published in the ECAS website. Thank you very much, Karin. Very thorough and comprehensive overview. Now, 
maybe we move on to the key recommendations and next steps then, so the outcomes of the project. Maciek, can you tell us what are the recommended steps to to mitigate the presence of these chemicals in consumer products and how might these findings impact any future regulation or industry practices? So the responsibility for safety of products is actually with the companies who place them uh, on the market. Uh, and it is them who need to ensure that the substances are actually not present in these products or are below the uh, threshold limits. Uh, and it's their actions of the companies that, that need to make sure the products are safe. Uh, and that's why most of the recommendations in the, in the report are actually uh, targeted uh, at companies. So the first one, uh, the most important one, is that companies should take a bit more effort um, to raise their awareness about the, the duties which are applicable uh, related to the presence of um, restricted substances and regularly check their products for, uh, for the presence of such, comp- uh, such substances. The second recommendation, the most important one, um, is that companies should actually verify that they are compliant. And this can be done using a risk-based approach, um, which is essentially um, to, to, to check if the, if the most risky materials contain the substances that could be restricted. Right, so they should be doing the checks themselves. Well, of course, not every pro- not on every product, but on the ones which are most likely to be com- non-compliant and on some select samples. And and this is where the let's say that the risk let's say the, the targeted selection comes in uh, quite importantly, and that's particularly important for importers because they do not know what's actually in the articles. The producers know. Uh, the importers have to trust their suppliers. So let's say the first uh, important thing that the uh, suppliers need to do is that they need to identify the legislation and then the restrictions uh, which are applicable and the substances they need to look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, second is to look at the materials. And if there are high-risk materials such as soft plastics that Karen was mentioning or metal alloys, then they should be looking for, for some of the restricted substances uh, in there. And for these high-risk materials, it is actually recommended that uh, they could do some, some random spot checks uh, for, and, and look for substances uh, that could be found there. So basically send the products to the labs and do analytical testing. For example, for um, phthalates in soft plastics or, or calcium or lead in, in metal alloys. Um, secondly, if importers are importing, for example, electri- electrical products, they could look into some of the product documentation, such as the uh, conformity documents, to see if there's any information on the substance contained therein. If particularly uh, the importers are actually ordering uh, articles from, uh, from third countries, it could, it could also be useful for them to set specific requirements for their suppliers for high-risk materials. For example, no phthalates in our SCPs in soft plastics and, and no lead, cadmium or nickel in, in metal alloys. Mm-hmm. Lastly and thirdly, when uh, the um, suppliers are looking for the, let's say, high-risk materials, it could actually be quite useful to look into safety gate and look for the examples of uh, products that were already found to be non-compliant and contain restricted substances. Safety gate, what is that? Safety gate is the European Commission's uh, e- uh, internet portal uh, where inspectors are actually uh, f- submitting alerts of, of products that were found to be non-compliant. For example, um, toys that contain phthalates or uh, inks that contained uh, carcinogenic uh, materials uh, and other uh, products that were found non-compliant. And these were together with the information about the supplier and photos are actually uploaded and available publicly. 
Okay, right, good. We'll put that into the episode description also for our listeners then to find it more easily. So from what you said, clearly um, a need to increase industry's compliance. What about consumers then? Um, how can consumers make more informed choices about the products they buy? It's not that easy when it comes to restrictions. The, the, most, uh, the biggest responsibility for compliance, of course, on the suppliers. Uh, for consumers, it's actually quite difficult to know if the products that they buy contain restricted substances um, or not because these products in principle shouldn't be on market in the first place. Um, but, uh, and, and the only certain way to ensure that the product doesn't have these hazardous restricted substances is to do uh, analytical tests, which is of course out of reach uh, of the consumers. But for general uh, awareness, and then let's say in terms of guiding our shopping habits, uh, two takeouts from the project that, that are definitely worth noting is that the products which are manufactured in the EU and the EEA countries are less likely to contain hazardous substances uh, than products that are imported or whose origin is unknown. As Karen was mentioning, the non-compliance is 8% for the EU-based products and 22 for the ones which are imported. The second, uh, I think consumers could be, let's say, well advised by having a look at the non-compliance rates in the different product categories, such as the electric materials, toys, etc., that Karen has mentioned. Um, when it comes to specific recommendations for consumers, well, the project does not really formulate uh, such specific recommendations. Uh, so I could only go with some common sense principles that, that we all know and could be guided with when, when doing shopping. Um, and that's basically to uh, know what you buy and buy from established sources, well-identified suppliers and from producers that you trust. This does not guarantee compliance, but makes it much more likely. Very useful information for our consumer listeners then. Um, what more could be done to improve compliance overall? Well, there is a um, potential for, for some support for the companies who need to identify that their products contain uh, hazardous substances. And uh, if they need support, uh, the ECA help desks and the, and the national help desk could definitely help them to find out what substances are frequently found in which uh, materials. Clearly, a lot of recommendations that you've already outlined. Um, now that the report has been published, what are then the next steps? So I'm sure there's still some recommendations that need to be taken forward, but on a, maybe on a kind of an EU level, for example, what kind of recommendations are there and what are the next steps? Well, we definitely look forward to discuss with the suppliers and the industry and the stakeholders about the results of this product. And to do this, uh, we plan to prepare a workshop for the accredited stakeholders, which is both the NGOs and the industry, uh, and to discuss the results and the recommendations and see whether the uh, stakeholder organizations and, and industry associations would be willing to, to do or take certain steps uh, and potentially look forward and uh, uh, implement the recommendations. And we plan to be organizing this workshop in the second quarter of next year. Uh, secondly, uh, in order to further harmonize enforcement, the forum will prepare the guide for inspectors uh, about the harmonized uh, controls and enforcement restrictions. Um, so this guide will ensure that inspectors are looking at the same things uh, in a similar manner and uh, record all the findings and lessons learned from this project. So really taking the experience from these inspections and passing it on um, to the wider community of, of member states and inspectors to be able to do the do these inspections in the future. Exactly, and making sure that the project has a long-lasting impact beyond the, the, the time that it was actually operational. We've come to the end of our episode. Thank you, Karin, for sharing your insights into the results, and you, Maciek, for going through the main recommendations and next steps. 
The best way to stay up to date on the follow-up of this report and to find out about other ongoing or planned enforcement projects is to subscribe to our weekly news at eka.europa.eu forward slash subscribe. Thanks for tuning in and stay safe. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.